for a minute forgot I was preaching this morning, and so I got caught in a conversation on the staircase. So. <laughs> um, but today we're going to we've been doing the Engage series and just challenging the church to step out and engage with the world. You know, sometimes as Christians we can get into the habit of getting caught with people who are like-minded, who believe, um, and sometimes that's less threatening to us. Um, but as Christians, we need to step out, um, and that word of just that we've got that message of hope and that freedom, and 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 Jesus wants to set people free. Um, that's why he came. That's the message of the gospel. And today I'm going to speak about sharing your story. But I want first to just get you thinking about the power of a story. And I want you to think about a story that has been powerful, maybe your favorite book. And I'm going to get everyone, well, not everyone, I'm going to get a few people to share what their favorite story in a nutshell is. I'll um, tell you, one of my favorite, when I was thinking back, um, is a book called Around Africa on My Bike. I don't know if any of you have read it. It's a guy, Rian Mansa, South African, who decided to cycle around Africa on his bike. And it's just the story of what happened. It's hardcore. And I love nonfiction where people do great things, challenge themselves, and go on these adventures. So I think that says something about my spirit of adventure. I love travel. I love new. Um, and then I was thinking about my son's favorite book. And I love variety. We've got a bookshelf full of hand-me-down books. Um, and he always gravitates to Bob the Boulder. And it's a counting one. So it's like one, two, Bob Titans the Screw, two, three, three, four, Wendy Hammers nails in the four floor. I know it off by heart. I can get to 10. Um, oh, it's up to 20, actually. And I want to get him to read books that are more challenging. He actually loves rhyming books. He loves books that are longer. But we always gravitate to this 10-page book of Counting and Bob. The reason being that he loves building. He's currently obsessed with building sites. And so it says a lot about him, he, what his favorite book is. So who wants to share favorite book and what it says about you? Can any of you think? Favorite book and what it says about you? Brad. <laughs> oh wow. And what does it say about you, Brad? <laughs> Wonderful. Anyone else? Or even thinking back to your childhood of what a favorite book might have been. John, did you have a favorite book? I can pick on him as a pastor. Did you have a favorite book growing up? <laughs> No, okay. Anyone else I can pick on? There we go. Yeah, I used to love, um, that green glass of okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Wonderful. Okay, so stories have the ability to take us places. I remember as a kid, I loved Roald Dahl, and um, he has something for everyone. So just growing up, I enjoyed his kind of sixth sense of humor. As he got older, I liked in high school, I loved Roald Dahl books. There was one that I loved um, where, because he just wrote these amazing st short stories that would just capture your attention. And there was one that there's this guy on a ship, and um, it's a cruise, and as part of the cruise, you can bet money on what time um, the ship is going to reach its destination. And so he takes, he's got a kind of lucky feeling, so he takes all his life savings, doesn't tell his wife, but he bets on a certain time. And what happens is he can see that the ship is ahead of time and he's not going to get his money back. He starts to panic because he cannot tell his wife that they're about to lose their life savings. So he makes this decision that he's going to throw himself overboard. And he's going to slow the boat down because it's going to have to stop to um 
to to catch him and then he'll he'll you know he'll delay it and probably it will get there at his time so then he has to find someone who will see it because obviously he can't just throw himself overboard that would be stupid so he thinks he establishes that the person can't be blind or deaf and so he goes and he starts chatting to a lady and she's there in a wheelchair and so he thinks okay well she won't go anywhere she's been here for a while she's going to stay here and so he starts chatting to her establishes that she's neither of those and then he goes now's the moment so he jumps overboard and goes overboard and as that happens um, this lady's carer comes out and says what are you doing here you've wandered off again well, I don't know if she was actually in a wheelchair but she had wandered off and she was an older lady and so he said you've wandered off again and you know and you shouldn't do that. And, and he sh she said, but there was a nice man and he jumped overboard and he waved at me. And she said, yes, sure he did. And realized at that point that this woman was senile and that she couldn't be relied on. And so it has that like, oh, sorry for you kind of thing. Uh, the chances are you'll probably remember that story because when we preach and when we tell stories, there's something that kind of seems to hook into our hearts. And so we're going to be speaking about a story that we all have. If you know and love God, if you've stepped into a relationship with God and made that decision to follow him, then you've got a significant story that you can tell others. It's a powerful story. It's a story that has the ability to set captives free, to change lives. It's a story that God wants you to tell. And we as believers need to become more used to and accustomed to sharing our story and our testimony. But first, I want to look at the power of a story. Why are stories so powerful? And the first thing is that a story can give credibility. And I didn't really think about the fact that a story can actually make something more credible. But this guy, Jeff Colvin, I was reading his, um, a quote from his book, Humans Are Underrated, and he says this, we are wired for interpersonal connections and put more stock in ideas that result from personal contact than from hard data. Essentially, we, we internalize stories much better than we do facts. And he uses a proof of this as, as a, um, jurors, and they did a study of people doing jury duty and how they came to decisions. And what they actually found surprisingly is that if they got experts, witnesses in that um, just gave hard data, it would kind of be heard and understood. But what was more powerful was a witness's personal clinical experience. So if they shared a story about something that happened, it resonated with the jurors and it helped them to make a decision. And so in the end, at the end of the day, the jury actually needed to hear a story to make a wise and educated decision. It gave credibility um, to what was being said. And if you think about something, maybe you've had a story that has helped you change your mind about something very important and given credibility to it. I can think back to things, even when we speak about word of mouth, when you talk about different, um, you know, we've been doing things like chatting to other parents and hearing things that work and don't work. And you kind of seem to take it, okay, you've experienced that, you told me that story, I'm going to give it a try. And it makes it quite credible. And then also, stories can connect with our hearts. And I had all our um, nieces and nephews on Friday night. I had nine kids sleeping over at our house. And, um, and we were lying in, we put all the beds out in the lounge. And my sister, um, I'd let her and her husband go out on a date. And so they'd come back. And um, my sister and myself were just telling the kids stories about um, our family and just things we had done. And I just saw how the kids were just loving this. And it was connecting with their hearts because it was people they knew. It was things that really happened. It was dramatic. The one 
one day, um, the one kid's father, who's my brother, um, took us to the middle of a dam and I couldn't swim yet. And he capsized the boat. He decided to wobble it because my brother was a real thug. And the boat capsized and I just disappeared for uh, I don't know how long. And all the cousins were screaming and trying to find me and going under, but the water was murky. And I just think it was God's hand on my life because I don't know what happened, but I popped up. And that is true. There were many people there to see it. And my cousins all saw it. And the kids just love that story of just how terrible their father was and how he tormented us as their sisters. He used to chase us with snakes. And there's something that connects with the heart. They don't forget those stories. And they often retell them. And it's quite sweet because I'll hear them retelling each other the story of what their mother or father did to, to one of us. Then stories spark interest, but if they're left alone, they can decay and they can die off. And that's why we record stories, that's why we tell them from one generation to another. Because if they aren't told, they will die. And so there's something powerful, though, about that interest that it can spark in people. And that's why we retell them. Any story, and that's why powerful stories seem to remain, because those are the ones that spark interest. And then stories can also make con complex concepts simple and accessible. And so I was reading about a guy, and he wrote the Essential Scratch and Sniff Guide to Becoming a Wine Expert. And he's a wine summer, summer, yeah, summer, I always get the word wrong, summer, summer, that's it. Okay. And it's a tongue twister because it's not spelt like that. And he basically is about a 200 or so in the world who are wine experts that they can kind of guess the wine to the region, to the year, to the everything. And so they're quite snobby. I hope none of you are one of the 200. Um, but they, you know, it's quite a pretentious world. And, um, and, and, you know, with great knowledge, sometimes it can kind of puff up and be very prideful. So I'd read an article and this guy was, was kind of, but it is amazing. It really is amazing. And he kind of, they were opening bottles of wine from obscure places all over the world and he was tasting them and kind of, you know, saying where they were from. And this was the first time I'd encountered one, but this isn't the same guy. So this guy takes these cons um, kind of concepts and, and kind of confusing things like wine tasting and he breaks it down into three simple things. He says all wine can be defined by three things, fruit, wood and earth. And then he goes in to explain it. And all of a sudden, people who don't understand something like wine tasting at all can now understand what the basis is for tasting a glass of wine and making a decision about what it tastes like. So he made something that was quite difficult, simple. And I love books like that and stories like that where something is hard to understand and all of a sudden, wow, I understand it. It also disarms the listener. And I think of the biblical example of Nathan, the prophet, when he comes to David and Nathan needs to confront the king on sin. That is a very threatening situation. And so what Nathan comes is he comes in and he tells a story. And he tells David a certain story. And David all of a sudden responds to the story. And then he says, you that man, David. And all of a sudden, he probably gets so much quicker to, to the point than he could have if he had confronted him directly. And I had that where um, I was trying to figure out with Alexander if we're being too harsh on him. He's in the terrible twos. And that's our, Alexander's our son, by the way. And so I was trying to figure out, does he know what sin is? Does he actually understand what, that what he's doing is wrong? Or is he just being a kid? Because if he's just being a kid and learning, then I need to not be as harsh on him. If he really has reached an understanding of that he's doing is wrong, then I need to kind of, you know, 
continue what I'm doing. And I, I, I kind of didn't, you know, understand. And so the one day I was sitting and we were talking and I said to him, because he loves hearing stories. So he was sitting on my lap and I started to tell him a story. And I said to him, there was this little boy and his mom and sister decided to go to the shops and he didn't want to go. So they left him at home. And then I said, and then this little boy did something very naughty. And I said, Alexander, what did he do? And Alexander said, oh, this is an important part, is that the main thing, sorry, I forgot this point, the main thing that was driving me crazy, and especially in Cape Town in this time, is that he was going to the bathroom, and he was switching on the taps and running and washing his hands a bit and playing with the water. And then we wouldn't know when he had done it. And you don't know if your tap's been running for five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, and it would absolutely, in Cape Town, drought, it would make me cringe. So we would always keep the door open, but lo and behold, the one time we'd forget to open it, to close it, he would go in and he would run the water. And so I had to figure out, does he really understand how harsh do I need to be with him with this? So anyway, so he's sitting on my lap. I start telling him the story and I'm like, Alexander, this little boy's mom left home and then he was home alone and he did something very naughty. What did he do? And he said he ran to the bathroom and he switched the taps on. And then he ran to the kitchen and he ate chocolate. <laughs> so then all of a sudden I was like, done. <laughs> Let's continue with the harsh punishment. And I'm proud to say it's not done as much. <laughs> I won't tell you what I did. Um, and then a well-told story also holds attention of people who are hearing the story. And it allows, people allow you to tell stories and complete them. I was thinking about in court, I mean, not in court, in parliament. Have you ever seen, um, I've seen a few clips of, I think in Turkey, the one was in Greece. These just terrible fights, breaking out physical fights in parliament where they're beating each other up. And I thought, I wonder what would happen in parliament if people, instead of, instead of making their case, got up and told their stories and actually reached the heart. Wouldn't we? maybe make decisions easier? Wouldn't we understand each other more? Um, and, and sometimes it's like that when we're evangelizing. There are things like we call it apologetics when we defend our faith, and that is very important. Um, but when we know situations, and, of, and when you see the big kind of guns coming out to debate. They're there to prove their point. They actually aren't there to listen. And, and that's the problem. Whereas when it comes to telling a story, there's a lot of power in it. I remember in, being in London on Speaker's Corner and there was a guy and he had come to evangelize um, the Brits. He was, he was from America and he, he was a big old American guy with a huge hat and big personality. And he was preaching and he was standing on, you know, in Speaker's Corner you get to stand on a soapbox and he was standing on his soapbox and he was preaching his heart out, and he was saying, God loves you, and you need to turn to him. And there had just been a natural disaster. So a guy just chirped him from the bottom and said, if God's a God of love, why did this happen? And he, the guy looked at him and went, shut up, I'm preaching. And then the guy chirped him again. He went, shut up, I'm preaching. And he's just been speaking about God's love. And now he's telling the guy to shut up because he's preaching. And it's just not the way to do it. Um, and so when we want to engage with the world, the story is a powerful thing because people will often hear us out. Um, there's something that people respect and honor about a story and a story that's ours. So that is, if you know and love God, you have a significant story that people need to hear and they'll probably let you finish that story. And so if you're wanting to share God's love, the what he has done in your life and a story from the heart is a powerful thing.
And so we're going to be speaking about it in Christian circles. We call it our testimony. And it's just the story of what God is doing, has done, um, is even going to do what we're believing him for. It's a testimony of God's work in our lives. And so um, we're going to just look very briefly at some of the different ways we can use our testimony. Um, back in the day, um, we were taught that you had to share certain points. And Howard, if he mentioned it, he mentioned it in the evening service, but I could relate to it, how you would go on these courses on how to evangelize, and you would get taught a million points on how, what to put in your testimony and how to share it and what to say and when to say it, and it was this very clinical thing. And I've realized in, in kind of just moving from that and growing from that, and actually it was quite significant because I learned a lot of great scriptures. I learned what it actually meant to be saved and, and, and what people need to understand. But there is a side to it where um, it killed it for me because it, I didn't rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to bring up stories of what God was doing. So we need to, the most important thing in all of this is that it's God's story. It's about the work of God and we need to rely on him to open doors. But these are some of the doors that he can open in our lives to share with other people. And the first and most important one is the testimony of our salvation. It's how you came to know God. And back in the day, these used to be, you know, people would feel like if God hadn't done something huge in their life, if they hadn't have had this terrible life before they were saved, then you didn't really have a testimony to share. But that's not true. It's actually about what God has done. And if God has done a good work in your life, whether you gave your heart to him as a kid, and you, you kind of, in your very simple way, understood that that's meant giving my life to him, giving my heart to him, or whether you were radically saved as an adult from something absolutely terrible, your story is still powerful because it's the power of God at work. And so um, I think we need to get away from the sensational and... Um, and, and yeah, just growing up, we used to go to these kind of youth rallies where someone would share their testimony and they'd probably get like the wildest, worst person you've ever heard and it would just be so radical and you'd be enthralled. But they'd spend the whole evening telling you how bad they were and about their life before and then end the evening by talking about five minutes of how they got saved. And, you know, that's glorifying man and it's sometimes glorifying our, our previous life. And um, the most important thing we need to realize is that we need to glorify God. And Paul speaks about um, what God did for him and, and shares his testimony. And I want to read a little bit from Acts 22. Uh, just look for the different elements of different things that we can bring out. And, and as you sharing your testimony, these are the kind of things, although your life's different to Paul, these are the kind of truths that we can bring out. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When I heard him speak in, to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, Cilicia, but brought up in the city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And so he does speak about his past life, but he doesn't glorify it. He doesn't. He just says, this is who I was. This is what I did. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And in there, it's just a declaration that he encountered God Almighty. You're not going to hear any other voice come from heaven, but God Almighty. 
I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. So there he's speaking about the fact that, that Jesus is God. God is Jesus. They're the same. And, and Jesus is the one who did the work on the cross, and that's who Saul was persecuting. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Just showing that response of how you need to respond to God when you turn to him. When I returned to Jerusalem and was um, praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me, saying, quick, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. And then he just goes on. I'm just going to cut it there just for time's sake. But he goes on, and, and the amazing thing here is that the people don't respond to him well. And sometimes when you share your story, it is going to be offensive. And so although I said people are more responsive to a story, and they actually did hear him out and listen to him, and then they responded, people aren't always going to respond well to your testimony, but that doesn't matter. We need to be faithful to who God is. We need to declare the gospel in what he has done for us. And so a few elements of what, what we need to include is we need to show how we've crossed over from death to life, how we've got a relationship relationship with the living God, how we repented and turned from sin, how we responded to him, and, and how we now live for him, and what he is continually doing in our lives. And so there's so many beautiful elements of salvation that you can include when you're sharing your story. But the most liberating thing for me is I don't have to share everything in one go, and that God is at work, and it's God's story, and not, it's my story, but God's story. And just that reminder of not to get discouraged if it isn't well received. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And then also just for those who don't have that huge before story, my before life, because maybe you've known God since you were little. Maybe it was a process of, of just from childhood falling in love with God and turning to him and giving your life to him. 2 Timothy 3 says this, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then it just speaks about all scriptures God breathed. And that was Gertrude's story, that generations uh, from childhood, who, who the next generation is hearing about God, and that is such a beautiful testimony of the power of God's work. And then the next one is a testimony of suffering. And I don't know about you, but, but when I've suffered, it's shown me what's in my heart. It's shown me the very nature of, of just, it's, show, it's highlighted my weaknesses. And suffering has a way of doing that. It can make you bitter. It can make one depressed, angry. Um, it can make people respond in an amazing way. And one of the biggest testimonies is actually... To the, to the unbelieving world is how Christians suffer because we can suffer well. And we can, through that, we can have a story about what God has done. 
2 Corinthians, Paul speaks about his suffering and what he went through. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from bandits. In danger from my fellow Jews. In danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. In danger at sea. And in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. And have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. And have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And he's basically, in a nutshell, gone through every kind of danger you can think of. He's gone through every hardship. But he still has a testimony about what God had done. And Paul was in a time where, where he was in, the Corinthians were very hedonistic people. Um, if you read much about the town of Corinth, if you, if you see what they were actually getting up to, for them pleasure was a huge um, priority. And so for someone to come in and go, actually, I suffered and I'm still here. I suffered and I still love God. It would have been a huge testimony. Um, he talks about when he walked into the city of Corinth. This is what he resolved in his heart. He said, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. And maybe that feels like some of us here. Maybe you don't have the eloquence. Maybe you don't have the human wisdom. But you've got a testimony that you can proclaim. For I resolved to know nothing while I came, was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. If you've got fear and trembling, that is Paul. But he was still powerful for the gospel. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's what he resolved to know, is that he wanted other people to know that God was a God of power, that he was Jesus Christ and him crucified, that there was power in his name, and that is what he was all about, and that's why we share our story. And so if you're going through a tough time, if you've gone through a tough time, there is purpose in that. God can turn that around to be such a significant part of your story that you can share with others. And so even for the Christian in suffering, there is hope. There's a testimony there. And the world right now is obsessed with pleasures. The world is obsessed with hedonism and just living life for ourselves. We are very self-focused. So to come and go, I have suffered, but God is good. It hasn't changed my, my kind of perception of God, who he is. It hasn't made me kind of throw my faith away. I still hold in onto him. Because the problem is that the people also, they become Christians, and then if it's not working for them, and God doesn't come through for them like they expect, then they just chuck the whole thing out. And the beauty of a testimony of suffering is that I still hold on to God, even when it didn't seem like he was answering my prayers the way I wanted him to. Then there's the testimony of death. And this for me is a hectic one, but, but have you ever thought that your, your death could have a purpose? For you, for all of us, it can be our final testimony to the world. And I've been so blown away in the last few years just going to, to some of the memorial services and funerals of people in our church who have been strong believers. And probably the most beautiful ones for me have been those that are, have been slightly older and, and just heard people speak about how through life they were so faithful. And, and the things that come through is there's often 
definite consistency. They've held on to God. They've put God first. They've loved the their, their people they've worked with. They've, they've just been such a testimony of in the workplace, at home. They've been consistent the way they treated their kids, their family, um, their integrity. And all those beautiful character traits come through. And it just seems like when everyone speaks, they, you hear different facets of the person, but it's, it's, there's, there's this... They're the same person because they're, they're so strong and so grounded in God, in his word. And that's the beauty of it. And so um, although for, for most of us, if you've experienced death, it is a sad season. It's not something we can just cruise through. But, but it's beautiful that there's hope in that. Um, and we don't grieve as ones without hope. If you see Stephen, and, and he was stoned, and now this is interesting because this is kind of the other side of Saul, um, because it's the same Saul who shared his testimony that I first read, and now we hear te- Stephen's story um, of what happened to him. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, um, uh, yeah, so this is what they're responding to Paul, uh, to Stephen, sorry, they're responding to Stephen, and so they've just heard something that he said, and it's made them really angry. They were furious, and they gnashed their teeth. Um, sorry, I've just lost my pace. Um, Nationally, teeth, teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he had said that, he fell asleep. And I just find that such an amazing picture. He shares, he's been sharing his faith. He's been sharing it boldly. People do not enjoy it. But till the end, they are starting to stone him, and he is still declaring who God is. He's still being consistent. He's holding on to his integrity. He's holding on to his faith. And his death would have spoken, so much so that even Saul and those around had, had actually witnessed it. Imagine going home after stoning someone and then just thinking about their last words. That would have been powerful. And Stephen's death would have spoken. And so we might not have such a radical death. We might not have to kind of give our lives up for what we believe. But that doesn't mean that the way God chooses to take us and and what people say about us when we aren't here can't be a powerful and a beautiful testimony. And that can be the last one that you have. Then a powerful day-to-day testimony is a testimony of a transformed life. And I was thinking about this, is that when God is working in your life, there should be daily testimonies. If you can't even today just come up with telling me something about what God's doing in your life, then maybe you need to kind of go, you know, is God number one? Is God having his way in my life? Am I, am I kind of giving my life to him completely? Have, am, have I surrendered to him? Because there should be this daily testimony of a transformed life. And you know what? Part of it can be a testimony of failure. I was thinking about how, how people, we actually do quite like to hear, how people have failed. <laughs> and one of a, a powerful testimony, if you actually maybe kind of backslid, lost your way when it came to faith, a lot of people can relate to that because more people than you realize probably grew up in church, did the whole church thing, maybe even got confirmed or made a serious heart decision to follow God, um, but then threw it all in, uh, threw it all away. And so a testimony of failure and how maybe you drifted from the church can still be a powerful thing because it's ultimately God transformed your life. 
And people love to hear those stories. Um, 2 Timothy 1 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but God gave us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me in prison. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who's destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I've believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What you've heard from me, keep as a pattern for sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And even in that, there's such a beautiful declaration of who God is, a testimony of who we've believed and am persuaded, convinced. And the, a few things quickly about what we should talk about is that we need to become convinced. Don't share wishy-washy stories. Don't share things you aren't sure of. There's something about us sharing when we have a passion that gives like a clout to what we are saying. Share things that you are convinced of. Share things that are truth. We don't need to embellish. We don't need to change our story. We don't need to kind of make something happen that didn't. We need to share truth with people. And the ultimate thing is that, that it's the Holy Spirit that will, he's the spirit of truth. So he will tell you what to say. We need to constantly look for material um, to share. And that's an important thing is that we need to be looking for God's fingerprint on our lives and his mercy and grace in our lives. And when your eyes are open and you're looking for short stories to share, you will find that you have more to share. We need to be praying for opportunities. When we're having those conversations, instead of just empathizing with someone at work who's had a bad day, we can actually share a story. And that's where you need to start praying that the Holy Spirit empowers you and that he gives you insight into people's lives so that you can start seeing, actually, this is what's going on and this is what I can share with them. And they can kind of connect with your story. We need to kind of be sowing it into everyday conversations. Maybe there's not even an opening. I even found it... Um, the preschool that Alexander was at, I just started sewing like things into truths. People were speaking badly about marriage. And, and so I just decided to start speaking words of truth and life about how Jono conducts himself. So I was even just sharing a testimony of my husband and just his character and honoring him and honoring what God had done in him. And so that for me was a beautiful, I just found myself in the situation and I was like, wait, this is an opportunity for me to share God in a, in a different way without them realizing I was sharing how God had transformed my husband life and I couldn't down him like they were downing their husbands or a few of the people. There's so many stories that we can share about God's goodness. We can share about the miracles that God has done. People will be blown away. I've seen when just heard stories of just healings where doctors were blown away because it couldn't be explained how this could actually humanly be possible. And all of a sudden we can see it can only be an act of God. Just those little miracles, the little answers to prayer. But you need to be praying if God's going to answer your prayer and you're going to have a story to share. Do you see how when it comes to sharing our testimony, we need to be the real deal? And so just to end with, if you don't really have a story to share, 
If you don't have something that God's doing, maybe, maybe you just need to turn your heart more towards God. But if you don't have a salvation story, if you haven't stepped over from an old life, surrendered your life completely to God, given it over to him, and become a follower of him, maybe you need to do that so that your story can start and you can start sharing with other people. And so if you haven't done that, I just really want to encourage you. Come speak to Brad or one of the, the leadership team, one of the pastors here, or just a believer who can tell you what it means to step over from death to life, to step over into that faith so that you too also have a story. But then if you maybe just aren't doing it and you're just needing the boldness, I'm going to pray for boldness for us, for opportunities, for a passion to share our testimony and our story so we can engage with the world. So let's just pray. Lord, we thank you that each person here has a life story. We thank you that you've worked in our lives. But Lord, we recognize that some still need to make that choice to follow you. Like Paul had that experience of just going from death to life, of someone who persecuted Christians and, and didn't follow you to someone who followed you wholeheartedly. And I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that they will make that choice to follow you and surrender their lives. Lord, we know that it is such a powerful message and that just that picture of a prisoner needing to be set free that there's no halfway, we either in chains or we set free. And I pray that if there's anyone who's still in chains, that they will be set free today. And Lord, for those who maybe are just needing more passion and, and just needing to give more surrender so that you can work in their lives and do more, I pray that we won't hold back, that you'll be doing things in our lives daily and we'll see the beauty of your hand on our lives. And then, Lord, for all of us, just give us opportunity after opportunity. May we go out and look for chances to share your word and what you're doing. We thank you that our testimony, our story is a powerful thing. And Lord, we don't want to be selfish with it. So Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your grace. Amen. And if I can just have the worship team up so long, we're going to go into a time of communion. And this is also just a testimony and a, a remembrance of what God has done in, in our lives. And if you have stepped over, if you are no longer in chains, if you've stepped over from death to life, then this is a remembrance meal for you where we can celebrate what God has done. He's, his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. And we don't do it lightly. We do it as a celebration. We do it as a serious thing. We do it because we celebrate what God has done. But we also recognize that he's paid the price for us, that we have that testimony, that story because of what he's done. So I'm going to pray for, the, for the, this time, this communion time, and then we're just going to go into a time of worship. And you can just come and help yourself. You can come and take the bread and the wine um, and spend a bit of time in prayer. And just once again, surrendering your heart afresh, celebrating what Jesus has done in our lives. So, Lord, we celebrate this time together. We celebrate that you gave your life for us, Lord. And we don't come lightly. We don't come just to pop some bread and, and, and grape juice into our mouths, Lord. We come because it's a significant reminder, a significant declaration, a significant remembrance meal of what you have done in our lives, how you gave your life up. And Lord, it's such a powerful message that's one we don't want to keep to ourselves. So Holy Spirit, even just come and make this, this um, time so memorable. May it solidify in our hearts the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the truth that you spoke and for giving your life so generously. And Lord, we just surrender to you. Just work in our lives and have your way, Father.